Well, guys, welcome in. The Rangers lose, the Knicks lose, Amanda Bynes is crazy, and this is the New York 20. I'm John. What's going on, Tom? Not much. That was that was a really negative way to start everything. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, was it the Amanda Bynes thing really, that got you? Is you that know, the one that really hurt? That that cut to my core. <laughs> I met her. You know, she was at my store. She's she's crazy. I, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, listen, that might be a topic for another podcast, but she certainly is crazy. But we'll move right into the Rangers because we got plenty of things to talk about. Like I said, the Rangers go down, the Knicks go down since we last uh, talked to you guys. Um, and we're going to start right there in the NHL, talk about the Rangers. Tom, what are your thoughts on the series as it wrapped up? I know you got a lot to say. Yeah, you know, it was a tough series. I'm now freshly shaven, uh, you know, have my playoff beard going for a good good month plus, and uh, it's, eh, it's hard. It's more of a playoff goatee as far as you're concerned. It's true, but it's the best I could do. I, I know. I, I, listen, I appreciate the effort, so. <laughs> I took a before and after picture, too. It was bad. <laughs> but... <clears throat> You know, what it comes down to, the Bruins were a better team. The Bruins were deeper. The Bruins were able to go and play a much better series overall. It's a shame because the Rangers, the Rangers at full strength, I think, could have been a more formidable matchup. They were missing Mark Stahl. They were missing Ryan Klo, uh, And they play a style that would have really been effective in this series. But, you know, they were out. No excuses. You know, Boston certainly had injuries on their defense as well, and they were able to overcome that. But it now it goes and shines a light on, you know, what comes next for the Rangers. You know, I, I think... A lot of the games were close in that series, you know, and I think that's because of their hard work. They had uh, an overtime loss, they had a couple of one-goal losses. You know, this the, the last game was a, an extra goal and a, an empty net, but, you know, they were right there. They were right in every game, and, you know, they're not as far off as, you know, a five-game series might seem, but there, there's more to do. They're certainly not there yet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely a disappointing season. I mean, you know, maybe the way that everything happened coming out of the lockout you look at, they really never kind of hit their stride, so probably not as disappointing as it would have been had they finished, you know, with a higher seed. You know, they they squeaked their way into the playoffs, yeah. they made it in, but I mean, they certainly were, were good enough talent-wise or on paper to kind of match up with any of these teams, And but they did get outplayed. I think it is yeah. as simple as what you said there. Um, it just seemed like... Uh, Boston was always in the Rangers' end, like yeah. every time. I, you know, and I was telling you before, I didn't get a chance to sit down and watch every minute of every game with other things I had going on. But every time I turned on the game, it was just Boston on the attack, on the attack, like un, you know, unrelenting. Just that's it. Yeah. And you can't expect to win that game. I mean, or any game like that. You have Lundqvist standing on his head sometimes, but they take forty shots on goal. I mean, yeah. you know. It's and it's you know it's funny when you compare it to last year's teams. I think that's what a lot of Ranger fans have in mind. Last mm-hmm. year they were number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals, even though that was a struggle. Those series went to seven games, you know, prior to getting knocked out. Uh, and the thing that you notice, I think defensively especially, is the Rangers weren't blocking as many shots. The Rangers weren't getting the puck out of the zone like they used to, and th- there was just something missing from this team. Now, you can talk about chemistry. You can talk about the lockout. I think that certainly had an impact. I think so, 100%. I, I think that that's something you cannot take out of the equation. Yeah. I, I, you know, you, we want to say it's a bit of an excuse. Fine. I don't think that was the be-all, end-all of why they lost here, but I, I think you, you cannot deny the impact of the lockout. You know what? You look at the teams that have been successful that are still in the playoffs right now. Boston has had their same nucleus for years now. Right. Pittsburgh has had their same nucleus for years now. And in the mm-hmm. Western Conference, the Kings brought back the team that won the Cup. 
the Red Wings and Blackhawks have been the same team for a long time now. It's hard to go and just say, you know, this had no impact. The Rangers had a lot of turnover on their roster, and I think that really had an impact. Yeah. Particularly for a team like John Tortorella's team, where he goes and forces his guys to bust their butts in training camp and be in peak physical condition by the time the season starts. That didn't happen this year. Clearly, you saw some guys that were behind the curve. In particular, I'm going to call out Brad Richards. Yeah, well, he, how he could was, you not? You know, and, and there, there's plenty to say about him, but... That, I think, impacted the Rangers a lot. <clears throat> Obviously, every team had to deal with it, but any team that had a lot of changeover in their roster, like the Rangers did, are going to be more subjected to, to maybe something having go go bad, go poorly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just really comes down to a situation of, of, of being outplayed and being a little outclassed overall, but... You mentioned Brad Richards, and um, we were talking yesterday about uh, the buyout situation with him. Now, obviously, he was dreadful. He didn't even dress the last two games, and it's an embarrassment to a player of his caliber. Um, now, now, what do you think? Explain to some of the people out there who might not know, you know, with the new uh, rules here that they got in place as watching the Met game, and somebody just hit a home run. Duda. Lucas Duda just there hit a go. home run. One we'll get nothing. to that in a minute. one nothing <laughs> Mets up on the Braves. <laughs> Sorry, as I got distracted. The Mets don't hit a lot of home runs. So, no, um, no but <clears throat> talk a little bit about uh, what the situation is uh, with this buyout, potentially, because obviously Richards <clears throat> is otherwise going to be here for a long time. He's got a long contract. What's up? Brad Richards, uh, as it currently stands, is on the team until 2020. Mm. So that's a long time for anybody. Uh, the, yeah. the way the, the lockout, the, and this is maybe where the lockout will help the Rangers out a little bit, you got two amnesties on your, your roster, two buyouts that didn't count against the salary cap. You pay all the guys their money, and that's the end of it. They used one of them already on Wade Redden, mm-hmm. who went and actually coincidentally signed with Boston shortly thereafter, right. or got traded to Boston. <laughs> Uh, that's one of their their buyouts. Now, the question is, are they going to use their second on Richards? I really think it's just a question of if they're going to use it this year or next year. Either right. way, I think they need to, and I think everybody knows that. So it's now, is it the right move now, or is it the right move in a year, giving Richards a chance to maybe regain some of the form that he had? Now, Brad Richards is 33 years old. Mm-hmm. He's going to be 34 next year. That's not ancient in NHL years. Right. You have guys like Pavel Datsuk, um, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, who are all similar cap hits in, in the same age or older that have been productive. Right. And it's, it's not unheard of for guys to go and, and sort of bounce back from this, but it's a risk. Richards has declined in points every year the last three years, um, and, and obviously this is the lowest he can be. And if you're going to invest in Richards, you're now not able to go and make any other moves this offseason, period. Right. You can keep your guys. You can re-sign Ryan McDonough. You can re-sign Derek Stepan. Maybe keep Ryan Clough, but you can't get anybody else. There's no money for free agency. I was actually on CapGeek today. It was a great website, capgeek.com. For any NHL salary caps up there, fantastic. Okay. I was on there before looking at free agents, looking at, you know, just reasonable numbers to re-sign their players. The only way they're going to be able to do anything in free agency this offseason is to cut Brad Richards this year. Right. The other thing to have in mind, there aren't a lot of good free agents out there. If they are going to go and sign somebody, there isn't a lot to choose from. To me, the thing that I would love to do is trade Michael Delzato. I think Delzato is a disaster and on the defense. He doesn't have as much offense as he his potential sort of gets him to. Um He's not worth the money that he's getting, and I think he has some value as a chip. Okay. You use that money maybe to get a better defensive player and then throw somebody else in there offensively on the wing to get a little bit more depth. Uh, but 
I honestly, all things, you know, when it comes down to what to do about Brad Richards, I would say to, to honestly cut the cut the ties now. Give somebody yeah, else a chance to so? play. Yeah. Okay. I like him. Uh, you know, I like everything that he's done with the charity. He's been fantastic. Uh, after uh, after the Hurricane Sandy, he was amazing doing all sorts of uncredited charity work for, for the, the location. And right. it drives him crazy. He's a very good professional. But and he was great with the, the lockout. He was, uh, yeah. you know, an integral part of getting that whole thing turned around. And again, kind Absolutely. of the unsung hero because he doesn't ask for a lot of credit, yeah. you know, when, when these things come up. So, um, yeah, I mean, it speaks to his character. But that's interesting that you say cut ties with him now. I mean, you know, I guess you can you can look at the um, the the Patriots philosophy, quote unquote, you know, in the NFL, where they tend to get rid of guys a year early rather than a year too late. Yeah. And obviously, sometimes they do that coming off productive seasons, and this was not one for Richards. But where you have that wiggle room, can you do it this off season or next off season? You can kind of say, well, you know what? He was really good for us in the playoffs last year. He is a guy that we had a lot of faith in and gave him a lot of money. Maybe we can turn this thing around. But you, you, you might be right there. You might be right to just kind of move on now and see what you can do really just to allocate that money better elsewhere. As well as the playing time. You know, I think you can go and take his minutes yeah. and give them to maybe some younger players and see what they can do. Um, I think that's a factor. Uh, another quick thing on that. As far as the amnesty goes, if a player is injured, you're not going to be able to use the amnesty clause on him. So God forbid if something happens to Brad Richards next season where he has a season-ending injury, you may not be able to cut him in July. Right. He's healthy now. This might be your only window. This might be your opportunity. Second thing you might have to worry about is uh, Ryan McDonough getting signed to an offer sheet like Ryan Suter was last, uh, or sorry, Shea Weber was last offseason. Shea Weber got a huge contract uh, as a restricted free agent that was eventually matched by the Nashville Predators, but it basically ate up their entire salary cap. And if the Rangers are put in a similar situation, they may not be able to match for Ryan McDonough, who is their most important skater, I would say. Uh, their most important, certainly, defensive player. Uh, big picture, because he's, he's a locked He's like Darrell Rivas on ice. He, he really right. is that good defensively. And you need that to go That should be and, a thing, by the way. Darrell yeah. Rivas on ice, that should be like one of the things that like Disney, a Disney does. Thing? Yeah, yeah I'm absolutely. Down. I would see it. that. <laughs> So that's sort of the, the long and short of it as far as Brad Richards goes. I think you're, the safer move, I think, is to get rid of him and, yeah. and to give some other guys a chance. So we'll see what they do. Absolutely. I think it's up to say there. Tortorella certainly is going to have a say, and he has a lot of respect for Richards, so it'll be interesting. But, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Okay, well, you mentioned Tortorella. Um, very simply, do you think there's any chance that he's not here? You said he's going to have a say in what happens with Richards. Do you think... I mean, yeah, I kind of evidenced by that. I think Rich, uh, Richards, Tortorella will be back. Um he had again the lockout. You know, I think that's that's his sort of you know it's a big excuse. This is his mulligan really is. for the it year. Is a yeah, big mulligan. <laughs> so he's going to get a chance. Uh, look, the team made the playoffs. The team went and won a whole bunch of games down the stretch to make the playoffs, and they won a round in the playoffs despite being a lower seed. They went right. on the road and won a game seven. They've won, I think, five game sevens now under uh, uh, Tortorella. Has won five game sevens as a head coach. Yeah. It, it's it speaks to what he does as a coach. So. I, there are a lot of things that drive me crazy about him, and first and foremost is the power play. I think that is where you need to see a change. I don't think Torella can come back just with Mike Sullivan and just call it a day. You need to go and bring in another voice behind the bench, whether it's getting rid of Mike Sullivan as his assistant mm-hmm. entirely or bringing in a third coach, another coach on the bench, which other teams have. The Rangers just have two coaches on their bench. Bring in a third guy to go and run the power play whoever it is, somebody who's a specialist on that, because right. there's no coaching going on there. Tortorella has said in interviews, I just kind of tell the guys to go out there and play and figure it out. That's not coaching. And when the power play is as bad as it is, you can't just say that. Right, 
Right. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost crazy that he would own up to that in a yeah. year where they were like almost historically bad. Yeah. And so if if the Rangers did nothing else but improve their power play, they would jump five places in the standings. You know that that's how big of an impact it would be to them. Right. So and, and again, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it was a big uh, uh, point of reference on the. Um, in the Capital Series, but yeah. again, you know, in the Boston Series, Absolutely. they did not perform on the power play. You know, they got, uh, I think, one power play goal early in Game 1, and everybody got giddy, like, this is what it's like, and let's turn it around. But yeah. then, after that, uh, they got a couple more. Yeah. But it was, it's just it, the inconsistency. You know, they're, they're not... They're not down in the other team's zone. They're not getting quality shots on goal. And they're just kind of passing the ball and listlessly, like, drifting across the ice and allowing the other team to clear out the puck. And they're wasting so much time going down and chasing the puck down at their own end. It's ridiculous. When you watch good power plays, they go and put their best players in a position to score. And the Rangers haven't done that. The the goals that they scored on the power play were just because Rick Nash took over a play and decided to score a goal. Or they got a good shot from the point. Or something happened, but not by design, just by chance, maybe by a fluke or mistake the other team made. Sure. And that's what needs to change. Teams that have good power plays are the ones that can go and effectively make chances. And until the Rangers get there, that's that's the biggest thing for them. And the other thing I'll say briefly, just going into next season, this is the window right now. This is it. Yeah. 2014 is the year this has to happen for the Rangers. Blunquist is a free agent. Callahan's a free agent. Dan Girardi's a free agent next season. So these are all guys that have one year left in their contracts with the Rangers. Are they going to leave? I don't think so. You know, but you're going to have to allocate money that way, and you're not going to be able to bring these other parts. So it's, this is the year it has to happen. They have to figure it out now. That's another reason I think the Richards thing becomes more pertinent. I think that's why you have to sort of cut ties and maybe bring in a guy who can do a little bit more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It Absolutely. has to happen now. Absolutely. Speaking of windows, the Knicks are also out. Yeah, that window is... is that window is closing yeah. fast. Even faster very, than very next fast. year, I think. Yeah, yeah it, it looks bad. It, look, it looks like the window may have passed because you just you just look at the landscape in the NBA, specifically in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, you have the Heat. They're not going anywhere. Nope. You have Boston that, Nick, that the Knicks were barely able to get through, and they didn't have Rondo. Yep. Who is their best player and their youngest player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the Bulls, who you saw what they were able to do with the Nets and, you know, even win a game against the Heat without Derrick Rose, who's one of the best players in the NBA. Yep. And you have the Nets, who are probably on the, the you know, the uptick. Yeah. They're probably going to keep improving. So it doesn't look good for the Knicks right now. Obviously, they lost four games to two to the Pacers. Um, I'm still kind of trying to figure out how that even happened, really. Yeah. But, you know, I mean... If not for one bad play on defense, the Pacers might be up two games on Miami. Obviously, yeah. they're tied 1-1, and they're playing right now. Um, but uh, just wrap up the series, what'd you think? It's, you know, I think the Pacers obviously acquitted themselves very well, and Paul George is taking the jump right now. Between what he did to the Knicks in the last series and what he's doing to Miami right now, mm-hmm. he's, he's really making that leap to superstar in the NBA. And that's something that nobody really anticipated going into this Knicks series for him to go and show that kind of improvement. Overall, the Knicks lost the series because they weren't. They couldn't defend Roy Hibbert. They couldn't play anything in the paint. Tyson Chandler was a shell of himself, and, and yeah. the Knicks just really couldn't account for well, that. Well, he was definitely hurt. I mean, yeah. you know, we found out Melo was playing with a uh, partially torn labrum in his left yeah. shoulder, and, uh, you know, J.R. Smith had fluid on his knee. J.R. Smith. I... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What could you say about J.R. Smith that hasn't already been said? I'll tell you what, to give Melo credit, because in Game 6, where the Knicks were in a must-win situation, he shot from over fi- shot over 50% from the field. Uh, 
scored 39 points and did it with one arm, you know, yeah. and, and really, really stepped up. He wasn't trying to force his shot. He got good looks. He really, you know, both sides of the both sides of the court, but up and down on, on offense and defense, played a very good game. So I think that speaks a lot to Mel's character. And when you're talking about the Knicks window, he's the guy that decides that. Yeah. The Knicks are the oldest team in the NBA, and that's going to have to change. But as long as you have Carmelo Anthony, you're not out of it. You're not completely shot. Right. But they need to rebuild and, and with really $30 million on the cap tied up in Chandler and Stoudemire, if they don't bounce back to be impact players, the Knicks are going to be in trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and then there's the, the question of J.R. Smith, which we talked about. Um, you know, here's agent. a guy who looks like a superstar when he's going good and looks like a disaster when he's going bad. And, and you know what? You can deal with the streakiness of a player to a point, but I don't know how much you can deal with it when the uh, the off the court shenanigans become a problem. Yeah, you know, and uh, there's questions about the maturity and what he was doing, and you know, he really wasn't the same since that, uh, that the elbow. elbow he yeah. threw and it got him the suspension in the Boston series. He is a free agent, like you said. Do you bring him back? I say it's. I saw something on Twitter that was funny. It was like the good news is now the Knicks can afford to bring yeah. J.R. Smith back because of his performance. The bad news is now the Knicks can afford to bring exactly. J.R. Smith back. You know, because it's twofold, really. One, do you want him back? And two, if he played better, they probably would be in a situation where they'd still be playing, yeah. and uh, you know, then he can walk when this when this uh, postseason is all said and done. But I don't know if you can bring him back. I just think he's too much of a head case. What do you think? I think overall. Looking again, looking at where the Knicks have money allocated, it's hard to not bring him back because you're not going to get that secondary scoring really from anywhere else on this roster, and you don't have the flexibility to really bring in any alternative player. Um, It's then going to be mellow and and a bunch of scrubs, you know, if if they do that. So I think you have to go and invest in Smith. I think especially if he's going to come at a reasonable rate, you do it. Through through 82 games, he was a productive player, and more often than not, he helped the team win. The problem is what has to happen, and hopefully this is a wake-up call, in crunch time he needs to be a better player. He yeah. needs to go and take that next step. Absolutely. And you can't be out you know, partying. You can't go – even a rumor of that it can't happen. You know, Whether or not – even if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, that can't come up. You, know, you need to be accounted for. And, and when he plays poorly as you do, then you're subjecting yourself to that criticism. You're opening the door to that happening. Absolutely. So I think you bring him back. I hope you know, they really need to go and, and just really pray that Amari and Chandler are healthy. That that's what they need. That's it. Yeah, because that's I, really I all think they Chandler can do. will bounce back. I think you know, just given his skill set, what he does, and and you know the, I think he'll be okay. I worry about uh, Stoudemire just because the the injury is chronic. Yeah, you know, and here's a guy who was you know a uh, couple weeks ago he hadn't even been back on the court yet, and he was sitting on the you know on yeah. the sidelines with his knees iced and wrapped, yeah. and it's like he hadn't even played yet. Yep. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what you can expect out of Stoudemire. Twenty fourteen could could be pretty rough for the Knicks. Uh, you know, I think they'll still be a playoff team, certainly with Melo. Uh, and you know, who knows what happens? Guys come out of nowhere. Who knew about Pablo Prigioni and Chris Copeland before the playoffs started, before the season started? And true. they, you know, they turned out to be gems. Those guys might be coming back too, so you can see what they do. But it's tough. I think it's very tough for the Knicks next season, the following season after that. Uh, Amari will become an expiring contract, which carries a lot of value in the NBA. His right. contract will have one year remaining. He then becomes a trade chip to maybe another team for an asset. So there are some options there after next year, but right. next year could be a little rough. It's going to be hard to sell it to Nick fans, though. Yeah, I mean, after as, as long as, as, long as they waited, dealt yeah. with the nonsense and the losing and the, you know, it's just everything, the circus. I mean, they really yeah. were a circus for 10 years. So that's going to be a hard sell. What do you think about... um? 
Woodson, Mike Woodson, you think he'll be back? You think I think he, Woodson he, has to be back. Yeah, I mean, he's he's overall he's been a very good coach for the Knicks. He yep. he got a lot out of J.R. Smith. He got a ton out of Mello. I think his system fits what the Knicks have. I think that the people saying he was out coached is maybe a little bit, but I don't think that's really what cost the Knicks this series. I just think the Pacers played played as a better team. I agree with you that. Know, they, I they don't think healthier. they were necessarily out coached. I think yeah. they were outplayed. Yeah. Uh, Woodson can't make J.R. Smith hit shots, and Woodson can't make Chandler defend if they if they're not going to be physically able to do it. So right. if that happens, I think it's a different series, and you can't pin that on the coach. I think Woodson's done all the right things, and I, I, anybody criticizing him, I think, is off base. All right, that's fair. I, you know what? I really don't even have anything to add to that because I completely agree. Yeah. Um, real quick, I just want to ask you and touch on um, what do you think this has to do with uh, Melo's legacy? Yeah, you know, here as a Nick and just in his NBA career. I mean, obviously the guy's a prolific scorer. He's great at that. Do you think he's one of those guys that's never going to get over the hump, or do you think he can? He will win a championship here or elsewhere. It's you know, I think it's tough to say, especially you know, I think he could have the Patrick Ewing syndrome where he's always really good and Michael Jordan's just always really better. Right. You know, LeBron James is is not going anywhere. They're going to have the same career length, you know, from one end to the other. And it's going to be tough to get over that hump. You know, we'll see what happens. The thing that would scare the the hell out of me is if LeBron James does decide to go back to Cleveland after this contract with Miami is up, because they just won the lottery, they're going to have another number one overall pick to go along with Kyrie Irving to potentially go along with LeBron James. Right. That would be insane, <laughs> and it's like, it's possible. Like, that's a thing that might happen. Right, yeah, yes, that that would that would worry me. That, so, that would definitely worry me. As far as Melo goes, listen, I think he is a great, great scorer. I... I question the maturity a little bit, just on the Knicks in general. I think one of the biggest problems they had all year was complaining about everything. Oh, my God. They did not stop. They can't. And yeah. you can't act like that. And it surprises me that Jason Kidd didn't really nip that in the bud. But I think Chandler is, is a very big leader in that locker room. And he's he's the biggest culprit. You know, he complains. Yeah. Mello complains. J.R. Smith complains. And it's the boy who cried wolf when referees hear that all the time. You're well, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. It, it, it devalues all the times when you're complaining about something that actually yeah. transpired. I mean, not everything is a bad call. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. I, I know that there's a lot of problems with the way sports and the NBA specifically are and, officiated. Yeah, the but officials were not, not good by any stretch. No, but. but it's not all bad calls. They can't be. It's not possible. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they really need to relax with that. Yeah. Um, so, now that we are fully entrenched in baseball season, because yeah. everything else is uh, is dead as far as New York sports are concerned, I guess it's kind of good timing if you call it that. Uh, obviously, like I said, we're watching the Met game right now. They're playing the Braves, but uh, tomorrow, the Subway Series kicks off. Yeah. Mets-Yankees, little new spin on it as they do uh, four-game series, home and home, two at City, Interesting. then yeah. two at Yankee Stadium. What do you, what do you think about that new... Uh, it's cool. You know, I, the one thing I will say is I always like seeing more games, right, between the two teams. I'm always right. a fan of having them play as much as possible. So the two fewer games, uh, you know, uh, I'll kind of take or leave that. But yeah. I do like the land. I think it's interesting playing the two games here, two games there. I think I had mentioned to you, uh, you know, before we recorded the other day about how it's kind of cool that you see everybody play. You know, minus, I guess, Sabathia for the Yankees as he pitched today. Right. Um, and, and Markham is pitching now Markham, for the Mets. So those two guys will, will miss. But we see the whole rotation. Uh, whereas a lot of the time when we did those three-game sets, you'd see the same pitching matchups both times through. Right. Um, yeah, because guys would stay on rotation, yeah. and there would be no, you know, no off days or whatever it is, similar off days, and then you'd wind up guys pitching, and then three weeks later, the same three guys would be pitching just in the other ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, uh, the other thing, I guess, as a Yankee fan, it's always nice to see a 300, you know, win percentage team on your schedule coming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> leading into a matchup against the Red Sox next weekend. So, yeah, yeah you know, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, listen, the, the <laughs> Mets have, have not been good, obviously, and there's there's been a ton of reasons why. Um, their outfield that we knew about, they haven't gotten any production yeah. out of their outfield at all. Um, Lucas Dude has been okay. He's been up and down. He's hit for some power. He, he had a home run, run tonight, yeah. like we mentioned. Um, but he's he's been up and down, you know, not hitting for average the way you would, not hitting with runners in scoring position the way you'd want him. Um, they haven't gotten any production out of Davis at first base and any production out of Tejada at shortstop. Tejada's the one that surprises me. Tejada surprises me a lot. Uh, I think um, Davis is a better player. Yeah. Obviously, uh, just well, based on what he did last year. Can you say obviously? Well, you know. <laughs> but um, I think he's got the higher ceiling. I think he's the better, the yeah. better offensive player. But Tejada uh, is strange to me because everybody raves uh, about his 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 baseball IQ, the way he plays the game for somebody his age, and you see that he has these tough at bats. So the fact that he's batting, you know, two ten right now and, and is hitting a lot of balls in the air, yeah. you cannot live with that. Um, it's it's a it's a problem for me. It really is. I think one or both of them is in real danger of going down. Um, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. You Who know, are you going to bring in is the question. That, well, that's, that's what I don't, and that, that kind of speaks to the Mets, kind of just where they are in general. They were expecting a lot more from these guys. These are supposed to be regulars, you absolutely. Know? And what do you do? You don't have a replacement for that because they weren't expecting to have to replace those guys. Exactly. I, I, that's that's the biggest issue. It's like, well, you know, you send these guys down for a shakeup, and maybe they need a wake up call. Maybe they need to get down there and get some confidence back. Obviously, the AAA team is in Vegas, where you could just go there. And hit for days, yeah. especially a guy like Davis could hit like 550 foot home runs over yeah. there if he wanted to. Um, but they have nobody else. I mean, you have Omar Quintanilla down yeah. at AAA now who can be serviceable uh, uh, major league shortstop as far as making all the plays, get hit a little bit, and he can play for a couple weeks. Yeah. So, you know, if you do that with Tejada, it's not terrible, but. I don't know who you would put at first base. They literally don't have another first baseman. Yeah. And you lose a lot of defense when you start talking about putting Murphy there or putting Duda there or playing Turner there regularly. Turner's a nice backup player. He plays all around the infield, does a good job, but he can't play there every day. And he's yeah. certainly not going to hit enough to, to justify, to justify sure. playing at first base. So, so what do you say to just benching them for a week? You know, even if you play Turner, play somebody else at, at those positions just for a week. The Mets aren't doing anything this year. Who cares if they lose games? Right. right. Who cares if they give up defense? Just to send a message to these guys, like, clear their heads. You know, I think there's something that happens with that occasionally with players. Whether it's a week, week might be extreme, but whatever it is, just bench them for a series or for something. Yeah. To make them accountable for it. I, you know, I always go back to the analogy of, of the Rangers where they were playing Richards constantly despite being terrible. And it sends a bad message to the other guys. You have to earn your time. Somebody's batting 150. You're not earning your spot, you know? It does. It, it does say a lot about accountability, you know? And uh, they were quick to pull the trigger on some guys in the outfield and in the bullpen very quickly. Yeah. But these were guys who were not supposed to be part of the core. Right. These are guys excuse me, that they did not expect to be long-term solutions, and I think that's why they've been a little uh, hesitant to pull the trigger on Davis and um, and Tejada because, again, they don't have anybody there, and they were expecting a lot from them. Yeah. Now, I think Davis, I think you got to either send him down and let him play at AAA every day, work on his mechanics a little bit. He's standing way too far away from the plate. He's got a huge his hands swing. are moving like crazy yeah. before the pitch. It it's, looks ridiculous. Yeah. There's I, no way he can catch up to a major league pitch. Not at all. A minor league pitch with the way his hands <laughs> are moving. 
Um, I think he's got to either be playing every day in Vegas or he's got to be playing every day here. That's against righties, against lefties. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Because like you said, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. And he's a hitter and he's got to hit his way out of it. And I think with Tejada, you know, it, it's been strange because they've benched uh, Davis against some tough lefties and they've given him a couple days off in a row. They haven't done that with Tejada and I think it's because they don't have another true shortstop backing him up. Yeah. But I think it's more of an accountability issue with Tejada yeah. than it is with Davis because they've done some of those things already. And with yeah. Tejada, they haven't. And you know what? Run Justin Turner out there for, you know, three three days in a row yeah. and see what he does. Like, he's going to make all the plays. I don't know if he, he doesn't have great range, but... Th- Quite frankly, neither does Tejada. Yeah. You know, they're both, like, kind of slick fielding with the glove and can kind of, you know, do what yeah. they got to do, get to the balls that they can and make those plays. But no, neither one of them are going to light it up. They're not too Lewitsky, So yeah. No, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, sitting guys when they're not producing because it sets the right example, the right message to the team. And, you know, a lot of the time guys will go out there and just have a bad mindset because those teammates are playing poorly. You know, and I think if you go and hold them accountable, it makes these other guys kind of look inwardly and say, hey, if I'm if he's getting benched, I might be next. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll step my game up a little bit. Maybe I'll focus a little bit more. Well, can you bench the whole team? Because the only guys <laughs> that are hitting are Wright and Murphy. I think the Jets tried that. It didn't work out <laughs> for us there either, so. Oh, man. So, like I said, we're facing off against the Yankees. Um, Grandison Ugh, is hurt again horrible in the luck, worst man. luck ever. Yeah. Um, he got hurt, obviously, in spring training, got hit with a pitch. Broke his wrist, was out for six weeks, came back for eight days, then got hit again with a pitch, broke his pinky, and is now out for another four weeks. That's a a big blow. I mean, A-Rod had the same break last year. He missed 36 days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe looking a little over four weeks, maybe five weeks come back from it. And, you know, it's not a lot initially, but it's a lot when you've already missed, you know, the entire season up until now. Right. So it's... It's tough, but, you know, the Yankees are fortunate. They have Vernon Wells, they have uh, Gardner, mm-hmm. and Ichiro's been out there. Ichiro has, has really not produced much at all. He had a couple of hot streaks this season, but his, his on-base is under 300. Yeah. He's playing fine defensively, and he's a good, way overpaid fourth outfielder. But you really need Granderson back in this lineup. You need you that, that pop from, you know, from his spot in the lineup. It just, it lengthens everything. It takes pressure off guys like Knicks and, and, um, and Adams, who's been a revelation for them at third base. Um, it takes some pressure off some of those younger guys. But, you know, without him, I think they'll soldier on. They've been surviving by pitching. Now, they didn't get it today. Sabathia again got hit around, which really is starting to become a concern. But, you know, you have to see what they can do. It's another month. You know, we'll see what they, you know, just yeah. stay alive, get through it. You I know, think Girardi did a good job. Girardi's um, done an amazing job. Well, yeah, he's done, a, he's done a great job overall. But I think very um, specifically, when he first got Grandison back, he was the first guy, uh, big guy, yep. with all the injuries to come back. Mm-hmm. Um he had an outfield that was playing, you know, as a whole pretty well. Yep. And it was a lot of talk of, like, well, now what do they do? How do they rotate guys out? Plus they have Overbay and Hafner, and how do they use the DH? And I think he did a good job keeping all four outfielders fresh yep. and getting at bats. And I think you're going to see that pay dividends now that Granderson's hurt again and those other guys have to play regularly again. Yeah. You know, if he had just sat some guy for the week plus that Granderson was here, yeah. you know, then you're expected to just thrust him back into the lineup. A little tough. Yeah. But I think he's done a good job overall, yeah. But especially with that. Girardi, uh, overall, just with everything, has really done an amazing job this season in particular. I think he's highlighted it because he's had that opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. over other years, like, oh, just try out Jeter and A-Rod and 
Teixeira and yeah. Cano, and you don't have to manage much. Just let them do their thing. Well, he did a great job with Miami. That's what oh, I mean. Florida, Florida at, the at the time. Yeah, he, he's a very good coach, and I think he's an asset. And the way he's handled this is a great example. You know, that I'm, I'm on board with that completely. Are we'll, you Are you worried at all about CC? Big picture, no. Uh, I think he'll yeah. bounce back. He always bounces back, and until I see otherwise, you know, he always starts slow and all that. And when the weather heats up, he pitches better. He got hit around today in Tampa. He always gets hit around in Tampa Bay, even when, you know, he's not, you know, pitching poorly. He always has, mm-hmm. you know, struggles down there. I think he's only won three out of his 19 starts in Tampa wow. as a Yankee. It's incredible. So, whatever. We'll see what happens. If we do this again in three weeks and he still hasn't progressed, then maybe, you know, it's, it's definitely a concern at that point. But I think CC will bounce back. His velocity's down, but he's, a, he's also a pitcher. You know, he gets by with his high fastball and all that, but he knows how to pitch as well. I think CC will be okay. All right. Speaking of pitching, let's talk really quickly about the uh, pitching matchup for the Subway Series. Sure. We've got a few. Um, so we have, uh, tomorrow night we have Hughes and Nice, two pitchers that have been a bit up and down. So how's Nice been lately? You, you... <sighs> nice has not been we'll good. Do that, yeah. I'll be quite honest with you. He hasn't been good. He's been, to me, the most disappointing member of the Mets staff so far. Yeah. Obviously, Harvey is the standout. He's been terrific. Yeah. I think the other guys, you have a bit of an excuse. I don't think that Jeremy Hefner is a major league starter. Yeah. I think Jeremy Hefner is a major league long man. Mm-hmm. Swing guy, kind of can spot start for you in a double header or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think he can be very good at that. Yeah. But I think that's his ceiling. No. So, you know, everything that he's done, I, I kind of write that off. You know, yeah. he's only in the rotation because Santana got hurt, and that's it. Yeah. Um, Markham has been pretty mediocre also, but yeah. he also didn't have any spring training. Yeah. And G has been very bad, but when you look at G, he's coming off of a major surgery right. from last year and missed a lot of time. So, Nice was healthy all last year. Nice took a big step forward last year. Um, and you were kind of counting on him to be like the linchpin of the rotation, yeah. especially going into the season. You didn't even know what you were going to get from Harvey. You were hoping he was going to continue and he's pitched beyond that. Yeah. But Nice was supposed to be your guy. He was your opening day starter and he's, he's been disappointing. He's pitched to a little bit of bad luck. He's been the guy who's getting all the cold weather days, all the rain days, all the, the brutal just conditions and yeah. delays and stuff like that. But it's that's kind of a meh excuse, honestly. Yeah. You know, he's got to be better. As far as Hughes goes, you know, I think he's been very hot and very cold. He's had a couple of very good outings and a couple of awful outings. Uh, he's coming off a decent one where the Yankees, I think, came back to win. But yeah, I don't know. He had a good outing. That, that means he's going to have a bad one tomorrow. Right. You know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of where we are with Hughes right now. And he's an interesting guy because he he's in his walk here now. He's a right. free agent next season, and I think it'll be difficult for the Yankees to re-sign him if they want to stay under that salary threshold. Yeah. Um, plus, with Pineda coming back healthy, you think maybe they might try to go forward with him. So, mm-hmm. obviously, Hughes has a lot to prove. He wants to get a contract somewhere next year, so he's going to, I think, right. you know, try to try to bounce back. But. He, he, the home run bugaboo has, has not left him his whole career. Yeah. He gives up the long ball, and, you know, he, I think he's a good, smart pitcher, but, you know, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah. Uh, and then Tuesday night, we have kind of the marquee matchup. Yeah. We have two best uh, pitchers for both teams this absolutely. season. We have Kuroda and Harvey. <laughs> and we spoke enough about Harvey ad nauseum, singing his praises. Both of us, even Tom, was a big yeah. Yankee fan. I mean, Harvey's been terrific. His last start out uh, against uh, 
Cincinnati, he didn't do so great. He went six innings, gave up four runs. It was by far his worst start of the year. But if that's your worst start of the year, you'll yeah. take it. Plus, he had actually left the game giving up only three. The bullpen allowed an right. inherited run to score, which is kind of, again, it's his, you know, it's but, his, but it's not his. But yeah. he, he didn't have his stuff. Yeah. You know, all game, he looked he, he looked a little, uh, didn't have the command of his fastball, didn't have the zip on his fastball. But uh, Kuroda. Yeah. It's been great. Kuroda, I mean, the only thing you worry about with him is he's coming off uh, an injury in his last game. He definitely got hit around his last start, and he ca- had a line drive bounce off of mm-hmm. him that he had to leave the game with eventually. So he's pitched very well, but you know we'll see what happens with him. Uh, he would be the guy that starts game one of the playoffs if it's, you know, and I think obviously Harvey won't, but you know, <laughs> he would be the guy. So this is your this is your ace matchup. Uh, coincidentally enough, you would think it's Sabathia, but uh, Kuroda's look good, and you know I'd look for him to bounce back. He's a tough, he's really a tough guy. You know, he had a. If you ever read the story about him and his childhood and playing in Japan, they don't mess around over there. <laughs> he had a run like crazy. They weren't allowed to drink water. You know, whatever it is, he's he's a tough, tough dude. So yeah. you know, I think there's no question he'll bounce back. And I think you know, as long as he's fully able to to you know command his pitches, I think it'll be a good matchup Tuesday. That's the marquee game of the, the series. Absolutely. And then uh, on uh, Wednesday night over in Yankee Stadium, we have Phelps versus what I wish was Zach Wheeler, but it's not. Yeah, yet. I'm looking forward to that. That's Zach start. Wheeler will be soon, very soon, maybe Jeremy two Hefner weeks. Instead. But it's Jeremy Hefner start instead. Hefner. Hefner is going to be a good, good guy <laughs> in that game. Now, um, I here's the thing: I don't want Jeremy Hefner to pitch against the Yankees, even with a diminished lineup in Yankee Stadium. Yep. Jeremy Hefner has given up a ton of home runs to good hitting teams, and this game at Yankee Stadium. So. That sounds great to me. Yeah. It's <laughs> Tom and I have been trying to figure out which game we want to maybe go to of this series uh, schedule-wise. And this game one. this game works out for both of us schedule-wise, but I'm not sure I want to go to this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I don't have a Jeremy Hefner jersey to wear because I, I I'll get you hate one. him. Yeah, no, I'll get you one. Um, Phelps has pitched well his last couple times out, so you know I think he's looking to continue that. He also left with an injury, so you know sort of the, the thing of the you know to, to yeah. be a true Yankee now instead of getting a clutch home run, you have to go and get injured and miss some time. Right, right. Well, to pitch in the Mets starting rotation, you have to go less than five innings. Yeah, uh, if your name's not Harvey, it's those right so, of passages things listen, you get with each team. It so, is what it is. If you have a Jeremy Hefner, actually has the second lowest ERA on the uh, team. Wow. I'm not going to say what that ERA is because it's yeah. not particularly a good number for a pitcher, but it is the second lowest behind Harvey. Although, he's also been pitching behind Matt Harvey all year, and the Mets have not won a game after a Harvey start all year, and uh, Jeremy Hefner has yet to get a win. So, two plus two season. is four. Uh, Hefner it's, has it's, not done much for you. It's not all good. Year. No, it's, so. it's, it's not very good. And then, of course, the final game of the series is uh, G versus Nuno. Nuno, my boy. <laughs> um, Nuno, who has gotten comparisons to a young Mark Burley. I've heard that. It's an interesting little uh, little comparison. I like that. Listen, I'm, I'm a fan of Nuno. He's a good strikeout to walk ratio. Again, the Burley comparisons kind of start there, right? Doesn't put a lot of guys on base, throws lefty, has good command. Um, not overpowering stuff, but he's been effective. I think he's only allowed one run, he came in relief. Um, gave up a walk-off home run, I think, to the Orioles uh, last week. But he's looked very good, and, you know, he had another good start the other day, so we'll see what he does filling in for Pettit. Yeah, uh, Dylan G has looked like he started to put the pieces together. Again, coming off that surgery, hit a blood clot in his pitching arm last year. Yeah. So, you know, obviously after the surgery, couldn't do much. Nothing structural, but that's a serious, serious thing to have happen to you. So, um He's looked a little better, but his main issue has been fifth and sixth innings. Yeah. He hasn't been able to get through that. And I think a lot of it is stamina issues from not being able to finish the season last year. Mm-hmm. 
to getting knocked around a little bit with uh, as far as not having his best command early in this season, he hasn't logged a lot of innings, hasn't thrown a lot of pitches or quality pitches and <clears throat> stretched it out over you know the course of a game and a quality start. So I think for him at this point, it's just a matter of building up that stamina and going a little deeper in games. Yeah. Uh, other than that, quick little thing on Mark Teixeira. Uh, had, had, he says he's ready to go. Yankees are, are really holding him just, you know, with, with the, the baby training wheels to make sure that everything's okay. Uh, Teixeira should be back pretty soon. Uh, he's swinging from both sides of the plate. He's doing simulated games. He's been swinging a ton. He says he feels absolutely no pain. He's ready to go. It'll be interesting to see what that means for Lyle Overbay. Yeah. Who's been amazing for the Yankees. I think he has eight or nine home runs this season, which is probably more than Teixeira would have at this point, and played great defense over at first base. Yeah. It's hard to squeeze him on the roster when you have Hafner already, when you have three, four outfielders on the team. Yeah. And Teixeira, but I'd be surprised if the Yankees let him walk because the Teixeira thing could be a chronic sort of injury. And right. you worry about just letting him go and then having something else happen to Teixeira later on. Absolutely. And, you know, we've already seen that Hafner isn't allowed to have a glove. Yeah. But it is tough when you have a guy in Teixeira who can only play first base, yeah. a guy in Overbay who can only play first base, and a guy in Hafner that cannot play the field at all. Yep. You know, how many of those guys can you carry when you need to, um, you know, move some other parts around? Like you yep. said, they already have... They're going to have four outfielders that they have to kind of squeeze in there like almost every day, yeah. kind of rotate them around. And when other guys start coming back, it's going to be difficult. Look, because when you have Jeter, A-Rod, yeah. you know, Adams is, is another guy that I think is really making an argument to stay on the roster. Yeah. He had a two-run double in the well, ninth he's inning He's the expendable today. guy, though, because he has options. He so does, yeah. That's the one thing. It's 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 going to be tough to, to watch a guy like that go from your lineup if he's going to continue to bat the way he's batting, especially against lefties, which they need help with. Absolutely. Well, that remains to be seen. Like I mentioned before, uh, maybe Met fans, we got about two more weeks before Zach Wheeler makes his debut. Yeah. If everything goes swimmingly, which I'll be I'll be waiting for, and uh, we're pretty much one week away from uh, Travis Darno getting the boot off, which means that his arrival will be. You know, kind of eminent so it, once that happens. It's boot off and then rehab. Yeah, stuff it looks like then... it looks like boot off. Go to St. Lucie. Yeah, uh, kind of do a little rehab and then work his way back to AAA. And then I think it's at this point, especially the way the offense has been struggling, I think it's kind of get his feet back under him at AAA at a level he knows, and then up Bring to the majors. Up. Yeah. I, I, they need the offense and they need the spark. They really, really, really do. You know, John Buck has been great, but he's slowed down, kind of regressed to the mean a little bit, and yeah. that's to be expected. You're going to have another guy. Listen, Anthony Recker is a—he's uh, awful. <laughs> he's, he's, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but like, you know, he's one of those backup catches. Like, he reminds me of Josh Tolley, Mike Nickius, these frustrating guys that can't hit a lick that are yeah. just back there, automatic outs. You know, so you, you have to have some production on on the other days when you're sitting your number one catcher. Yeah. So. We'll see how it goes. It'll be fun to see. Uh, quick little game as we wrap up. We had this a little bit the other day, and uh, I had a good time with it. So uh, everybody has the teams you like and you know the players that you like, and you also have the guys that are on your team, but you hate them <laughs> just a lot. And it's hard to, to deal with that, but it's fun to talk about. Absolutely. You, know, everybody you don't root against them yeah. because they're on your team. You need them to do well. You need them to do well. You want them to do but well. you still hate them. But you hate them for some reason. So let's start easy. We'll do the Jets, right? Because okay. there's, there's tons of guys <laughs> that hate them, right? Uh, I, I obvious, the obvious answer is Mark Sanchez, right? And I think everybody knows that, and that's sure. not really an interesting one. I'm going to go with Joe McKnight. <laughs> I hate Joe McKnight. Joe McKnight can't hold on to a football. 
throws up in practice, can't like returns kickoffs for touchdowns. So he has value somehow. Like he does that, yeah. but he also returns kickoffs to Wes Welker's arms, fumbling, you know, yeah. into the Patriots' arms after the butt fumble. Like that, that is, there's momentum swing after the horrible, most horrible play you probably ever see. Yeah, turn the ball over immediately. I, I hate Joe McKnight, and he's still on the team, and he might still be on the team now with the whole Goodson thing. And I just, I, I really hate Joe McKnight. Um, for me, uh, with the Jets for a long time, one that I couldn't get over was Wayne Hunter. Yeah. I know he's not there anymore, but yeah, I really no, hated Wayne Turnstile Hunter. Yeah. He was pretty much, um, he was pretty much the worst for me. Since he's been gone, I- I'm, I'm going to go a little bit, uh, outside the box here. Honestly, I think it's Cromartie for yeah. me. It's not that I have a problem with Cromartie. Uh, you know, I mean, like, the off-the-field stuff is kind of ridiculous, but, like, yeah. whatever. I mean, people have their own lives, and it's fine. I just don't think Cromartie... I think he's one of those overrated players, and I think he takes plays off. And watching him play alongside Darrell Revis all these years, it's... You don't appreciate yeah. Cromartie's you, you skill set as much. You know he's not a number one when you watch a true number one all exactly. the time. Yeah. Exactly. That's, so I think that's what it is for me. No, that's fair. Uh... Jump to uh, I'll jump to the Rangers and Knicks really quickly because I have you know a couple on okay. both. I think we might agree on those. Yeah, I, you know it's, it's you know this is a, a thing that's very important to me. Uh, I would say on the Rangers, Michael Delzato, you know, <laughs> and, and Richards because I think that whole charity thing has has buoyed some some goodwill for me. Michael Delzato is as talented as you can find defensively as a defenseman who has offensive upside. He can shoot, he can score, he has good movements, he can make great passes every once in a while, but he doesn't utilize that skill set, and it drives you crazy. On top of that, he makes horrible mistakes defensively. Now, he's young, but you need to be competent defensively. You can't just turn the puck over, you can't fall down in front of the net and lead to a goal, and he does those things. And when you watch him, again, I guess it's sort of like unfair comparison, you watch him play with Dan Girardi, you watch him play with Ryan McDonough, you watch him play with Mark Stahl, and you see what really good defensemen look like, and you realize he's not one of them. And the thing he's supposed to bring to the table is offense, and he doesn't do that. So that drives me crazy, and I, I pretty much hate Michael Delzato and hope we trade him. <laughs> that, is a, that is a pull no punches approach. I, you know what? I'm going to, since since you gave him a little bit of credit, I'm just, I'm going to go with the obvious one here and just say Richards. Uh, yeah. This is not as near and dear to my heart as it is for you, but I'll just go Richards out there just because I think if he played, you know, Confident. 50% of what he's capable of, which he didn't even touch. Yeah. I think, you know, the Rangers might still be playing. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's label him the GOAT on this one. And yeah. Just go with that. Uh, Nick's, I go J.R. Smith. Absolutely. He's just He's a crazy person. He there's, can't... He just, uh, there's, there's nothing so else many, you can say. So many things with J.R. Smith. <laughs> I, I watch him, and he just dribbles constantly. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't pass the ball. Doesn't look to pass the ball. They get the ball to shot clock with 15 seconds on it. And dribble. And dribble. And dribble. <laughs> And then pull up, take a jump shot, hits the front of the rim, and the ball goes the other way. It's like, how is that an offensive possession? Do yeah. something. Yeah. Pass the ball and get it back and then dribble. At least do something to make them think on defense. He doesn't do it. Yeah. It kills me. For, for me, I think it's just the fact that he's like just a, a living, breathing cartoon. He's like a, he I think he's like a caricature of himself. He really is. You yeah. know? He's and, like Ron uh, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would say, say Jarrett Smith probably. Um, yeah, why not? Let's throw it out there. And now for, for I'm sure, the, the best one for you. Let's, yeah, let's this do baseball. Is, I, I've been waiting on the baseball yeah. one for a while. Now, I mentioned this to you yesterday when we were talking about it. With the Mets, there's a lot of moving parts from, from year to year over the past couple because they've had some not-so-great guys here. So there are a few here that I'm completely indifferent towards. You know, like John Buck did a good job. I have no problem with John Buck. It's fine. Leave him out there, whatever. 
Um, the one for me, <laughs> it's hard to pick just one. Um, I'm going to say honorable mention definitely goes to the entire Mets bullpen other yep. than Bobby Parnell. Right. I hate all of them. Every time they come in the game, I expect them to do something horrifically Latroy bad. Troy Hawkins is one of them. Latroy Hawkins. eight years ago on the yeah. Yankees. So there's that. But for me, and I don't know why, I'm sorry. I'm sure he's a nice guy. It's Lucas Duda. <laughs> I really? cannot watch Lucas Duda. <laughs> he had a home run today. The Mets are winning yeah. because of him. One nothing. He is the like the most sluggish, sleepiest, boringest baseball player <laughs> I have ever watched. Wow, ever. Yeah. He just yeah, I, I he's just he's lumbering, he runs <laughs> around out there, he misplays balls like it's his job in the outfield. You know, he's got a lot of power potential. I've never heard him speak. I don't know <laughs> if he can speak. And I just he he puts me to sleep. His at bats yeah, put me that's to sleep. Terrible. Uh <laughs> for me it's easy. Kevin Euclid is on my team. It's, just, it's a layup. Uh, I've hated Kevin Euclid since he had his big stupid beard way back when he was with the Red Sox. I've hated him all the way through. And, you know, he's on my team. I'll root for him. I don't like him. You know, I want yeah. A-Rod to come back. I love David Adams take his job and ha- make Kevin Euclid kind of not needed. And we can right. deal him to the Marlins. So he has to deal with that mess of a franchise. <laughs> uh, but he's here and I'll root for him. And, you know, if, if those things don't work out, then hopefully he's productive. But uh, I'd love when Jabba Chamberlain hit him in the head all the time. That was, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I actually have an interesting one for, for, for you with the Yankees real quick. Yeah. Um, for me with the Yankees, and I don't like the Yankees at all, it's um, Eduardo Nunez. Oh, yeah. But that's a great... I, I have... <laughs> the hatred for Eduardo Nunez as if I was a Yankee fan. Yeah. Because I just don't understand how people are so enamored with this guy as a baseball player. I don't think he's that good. No, he's just not. Just like point he's... blank. I don't think he's there like, oh, heir apparent to Jeter. And I, I don't know. No. no, he's not good. No. He if I was a Yankee fan, I'd field. hate him. Yeah, no, I agree. And he's got that big stupid nose on his face. So he's got, he's got nothing going on. Jeter's like a supermodel. And Eduardo Nunez is like a troll looking guy. But on top of that, can't feel, can't hit, you know, runs the bases well enough. I guess he's like a pinch runner. That's his skill. Um, So, no, I I completely, completely (laughs) agree. Had Kevin Euclid not been on the team, he's definitely my guy. Um, He's definitely the honorable mention uh, from the Yankees. So, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll play this game some more with some other teams going on going forward. I think so. It was a lot of fun for me. It's nice to sometimes just blindly hate on the team you love. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Real quick, as we wrap up, uh, I'll mention uh, big ups to Notre Dame. Starting quarterback uh, uh, Golson went and was uh, de-enrolled, disenrolled from the school. Uh, Whatever. Um, for academic reasons, he was cheating on a test, and they—he's uh, a starting quarterback, and they—they they said you can't play this year. That's it. He's not able to go to the school. He's going to go to another school, come back next year. I can't name any other school that, let alone played in the national championship game last year. Just that's—that's that's a winning football program that would do that. Absolutely any SEC not. school, any other school, and I give them a ton of credit. Yeah, I could agree with you on that. Cool. Yeah. Hey. Anyway, we've gone a little long because we played the hate game, but why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Amanda Bynes still crazy. I just checked Twitter yeah. uh, in case you guys wanted to know about that. Um, and uh, we will see you guys next week right on the heels of the uh, Subway Series. And we'll have plenty to talk about about that. And uh, good night. I hope it's one big Yankee sweep as opposed to two little Yankee sweeps. Oh, I think that's the way stop it. Stop. Right. I was trying to wrap up. Be nice. <laughs> yeah. No. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> The New York 20 is unfortunately brought to you by Closing Windows. It does keep the rain out of your living room, but also prevents teams like the Jets, Mets, Knicks, and Rangers from winning championships. Ever.